Hi, how's it going, everybody? And welcome to the Debutify podcast, the premier e-commerce podcast brought to you by Debutify. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and joining me today is Neville Medora, the owner and operator of Copywriting Course, a blog that helps existing businesses improve their copy and their conversion rates. On this episode, Neville and I discuss the misconceptions people have about copywriting, how to improve your copy, the blog community at large, and much more. Here's our interview now. Neville, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah, we're very happy to have you. So first off, why don't you tell me a little bit about the copywriting course? Yeah, copywriting course was started part of a, another company called AppSumo, still part of the company. We were sending out 50,000 at first emails a day up to like a million people a day. And I was writing all of the copy for it. There's a lot of people reading your stuff, right? Yeah. So it's a big responsibility. And also we're running a business, so you're trying to get people to sell stuff. And so the reason I was able to do that was because I studied this thing called copywriting. I originally learned it from like the Gary Halbert letters, this old school uh, back in the day copywriter that I read his letters online. And I was like, oh, you can actually educate people about why to buy a product. And they won't hate you because you're actually educating them about a product rather than just selling them. And that's why AppSumo emails thrive because I was educating people about all these different softwares we were finding. And at the end, of course, we would offer a deal. And all these people would reply back, as you can imagine, if a million people are reading your emails, like let's say even 1% respond, uh, that's a lot of emails. Yeah. So you get all these responses back being like, why do I love reading your emails? Like, I'm not even going to buy this, but I I read the entire thing. What's going on here? That was the most common question we got. And I was just like, well, it's this thing called copywriting. And I would respond to each one. And then I was like, okay, maybe we should record some videos and tell people about this. Thus, the copywriting course was born. So I was going to make a course about copywriting. So, you know, as you can imagine, my genius was like copywriting course. How about that? And so it was originally kind of a side project, but enough people joined and, and were interested that I was like, oh, this could actually be a real thing. Thus, that, that business was born around 2015. No, that's amazing. And copywriting is one of those things that I know I have some people and some friends that are copywriters. And it's something that is a word and a term that we hear a lot. And we kind of think of it simply as like, you know, words that sell, you know, a company pays a copywriter to write the actual content to try to sell something. Is that an oversimplification? Because I feel like it is just when I say it out loud. It depends. If you're talking about nowadays, yeah, because like think about all the media that we consume, Instagram, TikTok, all of these things are video first, photo first. The text is almost secondary, right? And so maybe if we were, if this is the 1920s, right? Maybe text, let's say the 1400s, text would be the only way you can communicate to another person over the page, right? There was no, no printing photos or anything like that. So back in the day, yes, copywriting was strictly words on a page, but over time, what it's evolved into is photos, videos, how to make images, how to display a lot of data as a nice graph. To me, copywriting is getting information from one brain to another brain, right? Or one brain to a million brains. And so whatever that information may be, and whatever the tech of the time may be, that's what copywriting is. So maybe it's a little bit confusing. Uh, I think the the broader term would probably be like digital marketing, right? Yeah, that would be yeah. the parent of copy. Would that make more sense? Yeah. It's just like digital marketing means all the ads that you do on Facebook with all the images, all the copy together, all those things combined. Back in the day, like I said, there was just text and then it became images and then it became video. Now it's all of the above. And pretty soon it'll be like, you know, VR or something like that. Sure. So I will employ whatever technology I can to get my message across to millions of people. No, that's great. And what are some of these specific skills or techniques that you teach in in copywriting course? Because I I imagine some people were reaching out to actually get some specific answers, maybe not like teach me how to copyright better. So I'm curious what your syllabus looks like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm so qualified to do this because I I walk it every day. We have like a giant community of like a thousand people that are constantly uploading their their ads, their copy, their emails, all their sales page, homepage, landing page, et cetera. And they say, what's wrong with this? And the reason is it's very difficult to modify your own stuff because you've seen it a million times. So my own landing page is hard for me to update because I've seen it so many times. And so one of the most common things, I think people start writing and then start meandering. Have you ever told a story to your buddy and midway through the story, you're like, the hell am I talking about? Like you just you just catch yourself rambling and you're like, I don't even know where this is going. And so one of the things we always teach people is just like, okay, what's the end result of this copy? Uh, A lot of people are like, I want it to be funny. I want it to be personable. And I'm like, wrong. You want it to sell something. 
That's that's ultimately what you're trying to do. If uh, so, for example, your audience is being the e-commerce owners. If you're going to be sending out emails for your e-commerce store, the ultimate goal is to sell more of whatever you're selling. That's generally what people actually want behind their email list, behind their market. And so, a lot of people will start with just like, let me just write stuff and see where it goes. I think that's the wrong way to do it. It's like, what's the end goal, and how do we make this story get there? At the end. So there's little tricks like that that you could do that really like help focus people's marketing. Another thing that we commonly teach people is how can we make this entertaining? How can we make it a win for us and a win for the audience to read it, right? We don't just want to be talking about our product all the time. If you sell bath towels and someone buys bath towels from you once in your e-commerce store, do they really want a newsletter about bath towels every single day in their inbox? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe there's some weird people out there that really want that, but I don't think that that's something they want all the time. So it's trying to like gauge the audience and then what can we teach them that's more interesting for them to want to open our emails. So instead of just bombarding them with emails, being like, like buy bath towels. It's like, can we talk about something about the history, about why a specific bath towel is better for drying off? Why a specific bath towel is better for your health? Why a specific bath towel will last longer? Even though this one costs $40 for one bath towel, it will last you for 10 years. Those types of things. Can we do that to interest people and make good content? So that's my goal. Like make content that people actually want to read, even if they're not going to buy your stuff, because then they'll always open it. Yeah. And and then eventually maybe they will, or at least they're, they're coming back and it's doing the job of word of mouth, recommending to other people. Hey, you should read this thing that I've I've been reading, and then that person might end up buying it, even if person A isn't. You know, there's people that have followed me for ten years, and they're like, I finally bought something. <laughs> and and the cool the cool thing about the digital world is the marginal cost of at having that person carrying that person for ten years is zero. It doesn't cost yeah. me anything. Maybe some money That's in email point. hosting or something, but yeah, yeah. So I can actually take ten years to sell someone for like a hundred dollar product. Like that, that is okay. Actually, in the physical world, that would not work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm curious what what are some of the misconceptions that people have about copywriting? I gave one at the at the top of the episode. Are there certain other things that you hear from people in the course or colleagues of yours? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things I always think about is is like copywriting has like a scammy connotation because it originated out of like the direct response world and got really popular in the 50s, 60s, 70s. And in those times, like you look back at the old ads and you're just like, these are kind of scammy and shitty. And the reason is they couldn't carry a person for 10 years. You had to pay. So let's say me and you go into business together you know, in the 1970s and we're going to send a piece of direct mail out. We have to put down thousands of dollars of our own money just to send out the physical newsletters and papers, right? And so if it doesn't do the trick and it doesn't bring in enough money, like we're out, we could go broke. Right now, I could send it out on on Twitter, X, what have you, uh, podcasts, anything, YouTube for free. Right, distribution is essentially free now, whereas before it used to cost a lot of money. That's where copywriting came out of. And the thing is, copywriting is one of those skills that could be used for good or for evil. Right. So if you want to sell a great product that let like a, a wireless mouse that works really well, that's great. Everyone loves that. If you want to sell a product that's some scammy cough medication that actually has cocaine in it, like in the 1920s, you could also do that. And so I think that's where uh, copywriting gets a bad connotation from some of the old scammy direct marketing things you see. And if you go to, you know, reddit.com slash vintage ads or anything like that, you'll see all these like crazy promotions from back in the day that you're like, geez, this would not fly today. The other thing is back in the day, people did not have the, the tools to research products. Like imagine in the 1950s, you had a catalog open and you're like, does this product really work? There's no way to figure that out. Like, unless someone you know bought that exact product and got it, how would you have any idea what that is? Now you could just go in and just, just check on Google, like what the reviews are. And if they're all bad, then you'd be like, okay, crappy product. Or you could type in XYZ product scam yeah. and find it. And so I think that's the misconceptions of copyright that it's like this old kind of scammy, like only designed to sell type of thing. Whereas, yes, ultimately, we are trying to convince someone of an idea or to buy a product, but you can do it in a way that's helpful to both parties, myself and you. No, I mean, you're 100% right. And, you know, some of the history does go back to these snake oil salesmen or these people who camp, camp outside of carnivals and, and sell these elixirs that have no actually uh, beneficial value, but they were so good at that piece of it. And, you know, it also kind of reminds me of maybe like propaganda. You know, propaganda is pretty much copywriting, but it's for a service or uh, of some sort more than it is to like maybe buy a product. It's more for, for like a general morale or something like that. So I, I, I think there's something there. Do you see that good copy can actually be confused as some sort of propaganda or anything like that? I think that's a common thing. Like whenever you describe what copywriting is, it's like using persuasion and psychology to like yeah. make people buy. People are like, isn't this manipulation? 
And you're like, I mean, I guess that's like, sure. Yeah, it could be. It could be used both ways, just like a hammer could be used to break something as well as repair something, right? So I think it's one of those things, like every technology, every tactic, every marketing thing can have like this light side and a dark side to it. That's up to the individual person. I prefer in the long run to err on the side of like, people trust me and people like me. So that 10 years from now, they will buy something from me, right? They might not be the right fit at the right time. Maybe maybe they, they have no need for copywriting right now. Maybe they have no need for any sort of digital marketing service, so they won't use me. But if they trust me over the long run, then that will that's the way to win. And for the people I've seen that I admire most in life, they usually stick to some sort of principles like that. I think you could see a lot of bad copywriting in like the, uh, the supplement world. Yes. Lots of <laughs> questionable stuff. Now, I'm not saying every supplement's bad. I'm not trying to make some sort of stance over here. I'm sure some work, but a lot of them don't. And I've actually been hired to work on a lot of these. And I, I specifically say like, we, we can't work on supplement companies because a lot of them will have like kind of dubious claims. They'll be like, well, this 1950 study of three people said that maybe they sort of reported better liver function. And you're like, what does liver function mean? And like, you know, they're, bu- they're building a really flimsy case to make it yeah. sound like this really does something when in reality, it probably does not a damn thing. And so I think you still see a lot of bad copywriting in the health world where it's just like, it's plausible claims, but you can't really tell, right? Like if I tell you to take like vitamin B6 or whatever, any anything, and says for increase of liver function, I'm like, I don't know how to disprove that. I, d- I don't know to, how to prove it or disprove it. So it just sounds plausible. I think there's a lot of that still going on in the health world where things are a little bit like still unknown. And that used to happen a lot more, but I think it's being stamped out slowly and slowly. But yeah, copyright can be used for good or evil. Sure, whichever way you choose to take it. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I think that when you're putting forth circumstantial evidence to support hyperbole, we're now in an age where that's a little, I think most shoppers are like myself and I consider myself a a healthy skeptic. You know, I, I don't really just buy things impulsively. I'm a very impulsive person. Don't get me wrong. I'll do things impulsively, but I don't really buy, spend my hard earned money on something that I haven't ever bought before or I haven't done at least a little bit of research on. And usually I go off the word of people who are more knowledgeable than me. For example, I I bought a TV uh, for Black Friday last year, and I went almost solely and entirely off the recommendation of a close friend who's like a big gearhead and he's into technology. So he said, I got this TV. I like it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to do that then. You know, do you feel that copywriting has the uh, ability to inform and research so people can almost immediately buy so they don't have to do their own research? I mean, is is kind of the goal of copywriting to be supplemental for individual research? Yeah, I think sometimes people think of it as like this persuasion and manipulation tactic. I, I would say after doing thousands of pieces of copy, I'm just like, tell people what the product does. Like, exactly. It's, it's, I think that's a better way to put it. I'm just like, Hey, th- this TV that you're talking about, it probably has a bunch of different features. Many other TVs probably have similar features, but you're looking for something that like basically has 4K. It looks really good. You're not like some like crazy audio file, video file that's going to like come up to it with a microscope or anything. And so for your purposes, that was the best TV. And it would be my job as a copywriter if I was working on a campaign to say why this is the best TV. So for example, I bet price was a consideration for you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, like, I'm, I'm assuming you didn't spend 20 K on the TV. No, yeah. I did not. You, spend you, 20K. Wanted, you wanted 4k. You, you don't necessarily want 8k, but here's the thing. Some people might not even know why 8k is like a little crazy. So for example, did you know like 4k and I'm just kind of going off base memory of this kind of stuff. So don't quote the facts on this, but like, if you're standing two feet away, you can't tell the difference between 4k and 8k, right? Your, your eye doesn't see that resolution. So at, at a certain distance, 4k, 8k doesn't matter. So yeah, Yes. If you're going to be using, you know, VR goggles, you want 8K resolution. If you're just a regular guy with the family and your TV is six feet or plus away from your couch, you can't tell the difference. So you can spend 12K for an 8K TV or you can spend a thousand bucks to get a great TV that's going to be, uh, you know, future proof for the next five years. And so it'd be my job as a copywriter to tell you those types of things to educate you about the product, like why you don't need something crazy why you don't want to go cheaper than this product, but why this is the sweet spot to buy that product. So I'm just telling people like basic things they can understand like that. So when you talk about like 60 hertz versus 120 hertz for a TV, I think maybe you and I might sort of understand what that is. But I think the average consumer is like, I don't even know what hurts. So I don't, I don't get it. Like, I don't know what the difference is, right? And so it's your job as a copywriter to explain or show an image of like why you want the higher hertz TV. 
or why you don't want that type of product. And so that's what I think copywriting is just like literally explaining the features that people actually care about on the car. Uh, for example, let, let me give you an example. Let's say that I was tasked with like selling Ford trucks, okay? Like a Ford F-150. Now, I don't know much about trucks. I don't know much about cars, but I could still be the copywriter. And here's what I would do. I would go to my local Ford dealer, the biggest one in town, and I would say, who's the top guy here? I'm working with Ford. Give me access to your top salesman. And I would say, um, what do people like stop and go like, whoa, about the car? And so, for example, if you say like the Ford F-150 has 426 horsepower, people are like, mm, okay, cool. That's that's nice. To us humans, like we don't really have like, we don't know what that actually means. Like 426 versus 325, like what's the difference? Instead, if he's like, you can tow seven horses. I'm like, oh, interesting. Or I could I could tow one of those big fifth wheel trailers, right? I could tow the biggest one on the road and be fine with it going 70 miles per hour down the highway. That actually relates to something real world that I might actually use versus like 320 horsepower versus 425 horsepower. So if if people are like, whoa, you could tow that much stuff, I would say that's that's a key point that people really like. The other thing I would ask is like, what makes people just stop and and like play with something on the truck? And maybe he went, might say like, well, there's like this like flip down thing on the tailgate that you could you could lower all the way to the ground and step up like steps. And people always want to play with that. They want to go up and down that. And I'd be like, okay, that's one of the things to figure out. So my job as a copywriter when selling anything is to figure out like what people really care about, right? Do they care that the chassis is made out of aluminum rather than steel or whatever? Like, do they, do they really care about that? Or is that just something to put in the, the brochure on the side just to be like, well, you know, it has this, but it's not the main thing. And so my job is to figure out like what it, people actually care about and relate it to real terms that they can understand. So I think actually copywriting is just like this vague tactic, like you mentioned at the top of this. This is vague tactic, but instead of just like, well, you have a business that makes uh, $5,000 a month, right? So what if I could get you to $8,000 a month with just a couple of tweaks to your, to your homepage? Would, would that be good? And people are like, yeah, I like that. So that's what you want to sell and what really relates to people, not necessarily like the little features and benefits like that. Well, and, and you're touching on something that I think is valuable, and that's that's the ability to have to thread the needle that I feel like can only really come from experience. You don't want to oversell and speak in jargon into where the audience doesn't almost even understand or they're just bombarded with too much information, or they just feel like they're being sold to on a very plain, even field. There's that sweet spot, as, as you said yourself, Neville, of being able to tell people what they could be missing out on by not having this product while also not giving them a laundry list of of all this stuff that I don't really care about the product. How are you able to thread that needle and find that common ground and what a customer wants to know without giving them so much information that they they stop caring? You know which customer you're selling to. So for example, maybe we do give all the jargon that see if we're selling to the CTO of a company, the chief technology officer, well this person was probably an engineer. It's probably this person probably is really interested is, is this made out of steel or is this made out of aluminum? It depends who we're talking to, right? If we're talking to the person who's going to be manufacturing these aluminum frames, it really does matter. It, it goes in what type of aluminum, what, what what grade is it, all that stuff. But to the end customer, do they care if it's aluminum or steel? I'd say 99.9% don't. They don't even know what the difference is, right? Is that good? Is it bad? Is steel good? Is steel bad? Like, what, like, what's the thing? So you have to know who the end customer is and what they're actually using it for. I would actually say one of the best ways to do it is, is get on the phone with your customers. If you have a list of customers, try calling 10, try calling 20 of them. Just be like, why did you buy this? What, what was the point? I'll tell you my first, like, where, where this clicked in my head. Years ago, I ran a drop shipping company called houseofrave.com. It's a Raven light up company. I no longer own it. And it was, uh, there was all these people buying these, like, finger lights, like the lights that, like, with rubber bands that go in your fingers. I thought it was ravers who were 16 going, like, on a dance floor, just waving these lights around. That's what they were marketed as. And then one day, this plumbing company, bought 50 packs of them. And I thought it was a fake order. So I, I, I got on the phone and I was like, did y'all place an order for 50 lights? And they're like, yeah, 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 we did. And I was like, what are you, what are you doing with them? Like, what, what, what are you, what are you doing with these? Like, oh, we give them to our plumbers because they could put them on their fingers to see under, under sinks. So like they, they'll often have a headlamp, but you can't like, there's all this stuff blocking. You can't always get like the light from the lamp to like behind the sink, right? Like the pipes and everything is, is blocking it. 
I was like, holy crap. And they're like, yeah, yeah these things are so cheap. We just give them, if they, they, they mess them up, they just dispose of them and get new ones. And I was like, holy crap. Like I, I never thought about that. So meanwhile, I thought I was focusing on all these like ravers. And in reality, this plumbing company was buying a bunch of them. And I was like, oh, maybe there's like different things that people buy these for. And I used to be the person that picked up the phone for support calls. And I knew for a fact that all these people, like I remember this par- parents would buy them to uh, check for monsters under their kids' beds. And I was like, man, I couldn't in a million years have thought about with that, that yeah, use yeah. case. Yeah. And then one time uh, MTV bought a bunch for uh, a, s- a set design on, on like laser guns. There's some sci-fi show on there and they were using it as like the laser gun like head. And then all throughout the the set for like little lights and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, for Halloween stuff, people can use this for costume design, right? And so I actually sent out an email being like, here's all the crazy use cases for this one product. And all these people brought it. It was one of my record sales days where I used good copywriting to explain all the different reasons you could buy this product. Me as a dummy thought like it was 16-year-old ravers going to raves using them. In reality, 90% of the people were using for something totally different. Um, and for multiple uses. So people used to th- would think when I saw, sent out that email, they're like, oh, I could buy these and it would be like a handy little light. I could give it to my kids while we're camping as a little flashlight. They lose it. Who cares? It's so cheap since. And then there's all these different uses. I could use it for Halloween, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, that's where I started. That's where it finally clicked. I was just like, oh, you need to talk to your customers to see like, what are they actually using it for? Because it might not be what you think it is. The relationship doesn't. And that's one thing that I found a lot with with uh, a lot of the guests that I've talked to on the show is the relationship with the customer doesn't end once they buy the product, you know, and, and, and there is so much that happens after they actually make the purchase and get the product that a lot of brands neglect to get data on or get any feedback on. And and that's kind of what I hear you say, Neville, is, is that relationship and your ability as a brand to grow can be elevated with all this additional work in on, on the back end of things. I, I did want to kind of pivot a little bit because to my knowledge, Neville, you're you're heavily involved in the blogosphere. And blogs is kind of how you got started in this space, right? How did you kind of first get involved in that? Well, the internet was a different place at the time, right? It was yeah. a kind of pre-social media, pre-feeds. It, it's almost difficult to think now, but like the way you would like browse social media, so to say, before social media was like, you had a list in your head or like an RSS feed or like bookmarks of blogs you liked. So like, that's how you, you, you were like, I like this guy's blog. I like Alex's blog. And then you go through and just read everyone's blog. That's what you did. Now there's so many different aggregators and, and feeds that it's a little bit different. But I also realized that like really impressive people scroll the, sh- the internet just like you do. So for example, Elon Musk and Mark Cuban are browsing the internet just like me and you, right? They're, they're going on Twitter, they're going on Facebook, they're going on Instagram and just looking at stuff and they see the same stuff. And so it was interesting because I started publishing online. I just really loved writing. So this is before you could even make money online, but believe it or not, no one knew you could make money online a long time ago. And I would write for free just about events I went to, cool things I was trying, how to make a little business online, that kind of stuff. And whenever I go to actual conferences, I get all these people being like, oh my God, I read your blog. I read this, I know this. And I was like, wow, these people like know me from these dumb articles that I put online for myself. And there's really no way to like check like how many people were viewing these, you know, like, or you had like primitive analytics back in the day. And so that's when I started saying like, oh, like this is what content, content marketing is essentially like putting out blogs, right? You're putting out content online, people consume it. And so that's just evolved over time to like better and better channels. And then YouTube started becoming a big thing, right? It used to just be like a free video host they could host 30 second clips on and they got bigger and bigger. And now like, I mean, you could really build a business. You could build a brand off of just making videos on different social platforms. And so the blogosphere, I would say has actually evolved into these other things. You know, like I, I always think like if I started my career, like, you know, maybe 10 years later, maybe I just would have been a YouTuber. I probably wouldn't even been a blogger. I might've just been making videos and putting like hosting them on my blog, maybe just like well, that's a, where- a place to live. Yeah, that's where vlogs came from, you know? I mean, they, they yeah, just turned right. into video I'm, vlogs. I'm technology agnostic. Like a person who's posting on TikTok and has a following, I consider them like, you know, what we would call like a blogger back in the day. You're a person with an audience, right? And, and you're you're sending out videos or content to your audience that they love. And and like I said, in the, in the future, whatever new technology comes along, VR, AR, whatever, you, you still have that audience. And so I think just like content marketing, making stuff that people like so they follow you, is pretty powerful. 
And then the cool thing is like, let's say I start a new business. If I have somewhat of a following already, I can announce it to these people that are just interested in what I do. And you have this instant base built in. So for example, if Disney comes out with a new, uh, they come out uh, with a little mermaid, whatever, the, the new thing, every parent in the world is following Disney. So they have this marketing firepower to put behind it where like every movie they make is going to have at least some degrees of success, right? Just because they're able to get eyeballs onto that movie. And so that's my goal is to have enough eyeballs on me that if I launch something, I have a little bit of a base to jump off of and get that ball started. I'm sure you've posted Alex on the internet before uh, on a a blog or something like that. And if you're, if you have no following, it's like you're you're tweeting into the void or posting into the voids, or you post a a video and it gets zero views and you're like, well, that's depressing. Right. So, so having some sort of following is helpful. And uh, blogging was the way that I started that. And then it's parlayed into social media, YouTube, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and what's interesting now is you mentioned that it, it's kind of turned into the, the YouTube blog, social media aspect of things. But from my experience, I have a couple newsletters that I subscribe to. And the perfect one to one example for what a blog was and what a blog is now would probably be email newsletters that people subscribe to more often than not. My question to you is, are blogs still a viable source of revenue nowadays, or, or have they been almost totally replaced by email newsletters or even, you know, uh, vlogs? Each content format has its pros and cons. So if you're posting just on social media, major pro, as soon as you post, you're getting likes, comments, all that kind of stuff. Major con, three days from now, that post Old is news. garbage. It's gone. Yeah. Right. Now, now YouTube is like almost the opposite. Like, of course, you get a little bit of a bump when you first post, but three years later, it might take off again. Right. So, so that's one interesting thing. The interesting thing about a blog is I'd say a blog right now of all the content forms to put out is the hardest to make. I mean, I don't know about you, but I used to spend like hours and be proud, like for hours or 18 hours in a row working on a blog post and then putting it out. But now there's so many different ways to put it out that it's just like that almost seems like not as wise to just spend all your time writing that blog post and then like not post it on social media or, or make it into a video. So blog posts have this weird thing of like, they are the hardest to make, in my opinion. And I, I think most people would agree with this. You have to like publish it and then tell people about it, right? Whereas like if you post a tweet, Twitter tells everyone about it, right? Or Facebook tells everybody about it. You don't have to do anything. A blog, you have to go and then send it out via a newsletter or via your social media. But here's the thing. There is a thing about blog posts that if you're able to rank, okay? Now, so if you're not, then you know this is a different equation. If you're able to rank your stuff. So I've been uh, good at SEO for a long time. And I'm able to rank certain articles uh, as a top number one to three to 10 spot, right? And over time, what happens is the rich get richer with like with those types of articles. So someone's typing like copywriting exercises and I'm ranking number one. All these people come and, and, and search uh, for copywriting exercises, find my posts. Now, maybe only 1% are really interested in what I have to say or are going to sign up to my email list. But if I'm getting 100 to 1,000 visits a day on that thing, that adds up to a pretty good number. And so for years, up until now, in the last three years, basically a big tectonic shift in SEO, all my businesses relied on SEO to get all the leads. That was, that was my superpower for sure. And so I think blog posts are still worth it if they can rank. How about that? That's, that's the huge thing. If, you, if you're writing a blog and it just doesn't rank, I am seeing a little bit less reason to just do blogs rather than social media because social media is just so immediate. I mean, I, I, if I have a thought, I don't write a blog post about it. I, I write a Twitter post about it. And then, and then if that Twitter post does well, I write a blog post. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, I think that, that the ability for us to now think and position our words and our thoughts into 150 characters or less is kind of a valuable asset because everyone knows how to do that now. So you don't need to say what you need to say in 500 to 1,000 words when you can say it in 200 letters, you know? Do you remember the, the SEO advice from five to seven years ago was make 10,000 word posts? And now I'm thinking, do you need a 10,000 word post to explain explain how to make scrambled eggs? No, I think you need a 20 yeah. second TikTok yeah. to do it. Like yeah. you don't need it. It, it you, you just have to remember like a lot of that information that people are saying is old information, right? And so now I would never write a 10, actually Google actually actively doesn't show those really long posts anymore, which, which is the funny thing. They actually show like medium length to short posts. And the reason is back in the day, if you wanted to learn how to make scrambled eggs, you looked up the first result on Google and just read that. And that was the whole thing. That, that was your entire search. So you need to learn everything. You need to learn the history of scrambled eggs, how to make a scrambled egg, how to make scrambled egg with cheese, et cetera. 
Now I could find all that stuff just on like, I didn't have to click into the results on Google or I could search Instagram. I could search YouTube and find video results. And so people searching are searching different for, for different things. They used to want one search result that had everything in the world about that subject. Now it's just like, I want this specific piece of information. And then with the next step of like generative stuff, like, you know, ChatGPT, Google Bard, et cetera. I mean, it's getting even more granular to where I could, I, I don't want the whole history of something. I just want the exact thing I'm looking at. So what people want is changing and people don't want a 10,000 word post on how to like do a simple thing. They want the quick stuff. And so you're right. It does take a lot more uh, mental effort to say, well, there's a lot about the subject, but here's the core of it. So yeah, I actually think people want more succinct stuff now. Where you can kind of edit on demand. And as such an... But back to you. Yeah, please. I, I don't think I fully answered your blog question though, because the thing is, if you are putting out newsletters, the thing is, if you send it out and it's just done, right? You have a weekly newsletter, it doesn't live anywhere. And unfortunately, what happens is that your your stuff just goes into the ether. So I do think you want to keep it on a blog somewhere so you could build an asset. And at some point, if you want to recycle that content, reuse it, put, republish it somewhere, it does live somewhere. So I think a blog is an important part if you are sending out information or doing content marketing of any sort. Also, man, I, I don't know about you, but we have seen platforms come and go. I mean, what, what it used to be Facebook pages was like what people were spending millions of dollars on to build up their Facebook page. When the hell is the last time you went to a Facebook page? I mean, no, I, mean I know this product still exists in that ecosystem, but it's not promoted. And then it used to be Facebook groups. That was like the big hot thing. Now it's like, I look at all the big groups I was part of, they're deserted, right? It's just like people aren't using that the same way they used to. If you're building on top of a platform, at some point that platform or that product might fall out of use. And if you at least kept all your information on a blog somewhere, you still control it, you still retain it, you still have ownership of it. Yeah. No, I think that's an excellent point. That's a really good point. I wanted to know maybe why people aren't just recently your example, why people don't stay on Facebook. Maybe it's not compelling enough. The the it's too user generated. There the voice is all over the place. But my question to you, Neville, is which is more important in a compelling blog? I'm going to try to ask you to pick one of these two things. Is it is it good copy or is it a unique and original voice? Can it be both? <laughs> it most likely is. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, if you're asking a question now, like, just remember the technology is changing. I think the generative stuff, like, if if you're like asking how to unclog a sink. Do you really need like a compelling voice? You necessarily could just like chat GPT spin up something being like, hey, plunge the sink, whatever. Right. But for example, WikiHow gives me pictures. So I kind of like going to them to get all my, my, yeah. my questions answered because I'd consider that part of their voices. It almost operates like a children's book. So I can use it regardless of the expertise of the question that I'm asking, you know, because that's kind of the best way for people to learn. That's how you learn the best. And so, yeah, I, I do think that is a thing. The other thing, I think having a unique voice is going to be even more important. It's always been important. I think it's going to be far more important, actually. I think it's going to be actually one of the only things. So for example, all, all your people are e-commerce people, right? So if you sell yo-yos or uh, or, or, or cool shorts, but that's all, you, ju you just sell that. There's no personality on your site. You just sell a commodity. So people buy the shorts and then they leave. They never come back. But then a brand like Chubby's has made it like this lifestyle yeah. type of thing, right? They've really made a brand, a voice around it. So you almost like, I mean, I, I don't even like buy Chubby's stuff, but I like subscribe to their newsletter because it's kind of fun. It's goofy. And like, you know, and so I come back over and over. And then, you know, what? actually sometimes I do buy it. Every once in a while, I do buy it. And so having that unique voice, I think is important in building a brand or building some sort of voice online because like now there's so much generative stuff that how do you know it's Neville? How do you know it's Alex? How do you know it's someone? And having some sort of unique hook is always helpful. Yeah, it's, it's always been like, I started years ago drawing little stick figures and people are always like, I love your little stick figures. I'm like, of all the things, like my crappy little drawings that I just, they were crappy because I don't know how to draw. People started associating me with that. And I was like, this is actually a cool thing because like, if I put a little stick figure on something, they instantly know it's me, right? I didn't even have to say it is. They're just like, oh, that's Neville. And so it's it's cool to have like some little hook like that. And, and, and sometimes those hooks come up uh, by accident. Uh, with AppSumo, I started calling the customers Sumolings. There was like all these other uh, alternative AppSumians and stuff like that, but it was called Sumolings. And people just love that term. And that just like became the hook, right? And so it's like in our copy, like, hey, Sumolings, like that was like a small amount of like branding. Like we didn't spend a lot of time on it. It's just like that little intro. People enjoyed that kind of thing. So I do think having some sort of unique voice, unique opinion, it is pretty important. I think right away, you don't have to have that all the time. And sometimes you develop it over time. I'm interested. Again, I mentioned that 
I have friends and colleagues and people I follow on Twitter and stuff like that who are copywriters. And they, my friends especially, don't want to do it like forever. You know, they like it, but they're kind of looking for something else. What are some other jobs or industries that the skill of copywriting translates well to? Let's let's change it from copywriting to like digital marketing to selling online or just selling in general, right? I'm 40 years old. And by the time I'm 50, I want to be out of my competitive... I want to retire from competitive work life. And what that means is I don't want to retire. I don't want to do nothing. But I don't want to be in an industry where I'm competing against an 18-year-old kid across the world, right? Because they're going to be hungrier. Like So if I want to be like the coolest, craziest travel blogger, by the time I'm 50 and you have a family and all that stuff, you're just not going to be able to like have the time or energy or maybe even the desire to do something like that. Whereas an 18-year-old kid with nothing to lose is going to fucking eat you every day. And so, so I want to retire. And from that, I, I do consulting for people. And there are a whole host of industries outside of the internet world. We just live in this internet world. So we think everything's an e-commerce store. We think everything is some sort of like content marketing course or something. That's not true. That's actually a very small part of the economy. The entire economy, there's a company that develops like train systems, right? This is all they do. There's software for like scheduling trains, big hundreds of millions of dollar a year company. There's all these different companies outside of the internet world that need help writing things, convincing things, selling things. So I actually focus on more like, do I know how to sell to people? And do I know how to make people who want to buy stuff come to me? I think that's what I view it as. And copywriting is a way to do it. But the ultimate end thing is like, if I want to go into train industry, how do I become the guy that everyone trusts in the train industry, right? So there's one, there, the old school way is actually like getting on the phone and cold calling everyone, right? And and that does still work, but there's a, there's a different dynamic over there. Whereas the way I'm thinking about it is like, okay, give me a year. What can I do to become like super well-known, well-respected, or at least the person that people come to, to ask questions about this industry? And then if I want to sell something or some sort of service or product that they come to me rather than me have to go to all of them, right? So that's the way I view it. And copywriting is just one way to do that. So if you notice that copywriting course is actually not designed to make you a copywriter, like a professional copywriter. If you go through our sales page, there is something about that. It's a career accelerator because like whatever career you're in, if you're good at copywriting, you'll be better at it. But you'll notice like we actually don't train people to become professional copywriters. That's never been our focus. Um, people will sometimes join for that and be like, how do I make get a copywriting gig? And I always actually tell them, I'm like, hold it. Why do you want copywriting only? Is it because some person told you that copywriting is a great way to make money? I actually encourage people to start a freelancing business where they freelance on anything. It doesn't have to just be copywriting. And so uh, a lot of people that want to become professional copywriters, I actually think that's maybe a misdirected thing. Don't become a professional copywriter. Learn to sell right in general. So you can go to any industry you want. Like I am confident that if I went into any industry, even if I don't like it, I could probably do really well in it just because I know the principles of selling or how to get people to listen to me. And so th- that's what I get out of copywriting. We actually don't train people to become copywriters. Because like you said, I think some people are just like, I want to become a copywriter, but then they're not interested in any of the clients that they're they're involved with. So I'm like, learn to sell. That's the main thing that we're teaching over here. No, that's an excellent point. That's, that's a really phenomenal point. In the current zeitgeist, I've already asked a few guests um, something about this question. But you're extremely passionate about digital marketing and copywriting. I'm curious what your opinion on how much this industry can be changed or affected for good or bad by proliferation of artificial intelligence. Massively. What's not? I mean, I, I remember starting out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the online thing in like the year, like 1998, 2000, right? So, I mean, it wasn't even like technically that, that long ago. But it was a completely different landscape, right? Like people used to read the newspaper, people read magazines, people watched TV, not everyone even had cable. And so it was a whole different landscape. So imagine me in 1998 being like, do you think this like internet thing is going to catch on? Because remember this, like go look up 1990s. Yeah. Look up 1990s, 2000s uh, news broadcasts. And they're like, you know, what's this thing? The internet, like it's kind of dumb. It's for nerds. And, And to be, to be fair, not to like, you know, throw them under the bus. It was this really niche, random thing. There was no rules on it. It was hard to access the internet. Not everyone had access to it. You know, in the year 2000, there was something like you know, 30 or 50 million people in the world had, had internet. And it was slow 
and it was stupid and it was expensive and you had to have a very expensive computer to access it, right? They had to have like a cable plugging in. You just sat in one place. Now, obviously with your phone, it's a whole different equation, right? And so I think the artificial intelligence thing is like, it's like being in the year 2000 being like, do you think people are going to read news on the internet? You know, I think it's almost like a silly question. The answer is absolutely 100% resounding yes. I cannot see an argument for how this goes backwards at this point. And so what's going to happen is all these emails that I see people stressing over of like, how do I send an email to this company? How do I do a cold email intro? Those types of things that people didn't necessarily want to do, but had to do are going to go out the window. Now it's going to be like, okay, artificial intelligence make you five emails. Which one do you want to send? I think that's the way moving forward. And that's why I think when when people only say like copywriting, copywriting has reshifted from like copyright from just text to to just images to videos, all that kind of stuff. That's why I say that the, the parent is like maybe digital marketing is probably the the parent term for that. So is it going to be affected? Absolutely, yes. I think in the short run, not much is going to happen. In the long run, a lot's going to happen. It's going to absolutely drastically change. It's it's like going from uh, people literally typesetting metal plates to print out the newspaper to being completely done on Figma, right? I think the ultimate end goal is going to be the same that like copywriters are going to be trying to sell or content marketing people are going to be trying to get eyeballs and sell, but the tools are going to completely change. And yes, artificial intelligence is going to be a big part of it. And the good news is all the monkey work that you don't want to do is going to go away. When I started to just like get a domain name was very difficult. To get a domain name and a website set up you had to be like a tech person. You had to. Now that's just done. You go to Squarespace, you're up and running, right? You go to blogger.com, you go to twitter.com, you essentially have a blog, right? So all those things that were like really annoying and hard to do and expensive are just going to go away. So th- think about all the things that are annoying and hard to do and expensive right now, and those will all be replaced by some sort of AI stuff. But to kind of kind of follow your thread and pull on it a little bit, with that analogy of the internet, I was I was young, but I do recall it being very wild west. I mean, even still, the internet is uh, is really hard to regulate, right? And so I come into occasions where, you know, I don't. I'd much rather, I don't know, support people. And 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 for example, I read an article the other day. I read the entirety of the article, and then at the bottom of it, it said, you know, this article was generated by artificial intelligence and ChatGPT, <laughs> and I was like. What the heck? I felt like I got hoodwinked a little bit, you know, instead of maybe at least being at the top of the article. I'm just curious uh, if you have any sort of, I don't know, insight or theories on if it will follow the same path of the internet and being like, people are just going to use it in any way they want to know how until it gets regulated and there are no rules, essentially. Because that's what kind of scares me, if I'm being honest. That's going to be like an old person way of thinking. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's like an old person back in the day being like, you know, back in my day, we, we like, I remember the same thing with ATMs. Like I didn't like going to the bank and older people would be like, yeah, I used to go to the bank and have a chat. And so I'm like, why the hell would I go want to chat at the bank? Like That's so stupid. And I think it's going to be the same thing that people are like, well, this video was generated by artificial intelligence, not a person. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, and like, what, what, what what's the problem here? I, I don't see the inherent problem in it. I think it's just nostalgia, right? I remember when it happened with cursive. They, they were like, they're not going to teach cursive in schools. And I always thought like, why the, Why do you need to learn cursive? Cursive was invented with like pens that were dimmed in ink. So you couldn't lift it off the page. This is not a problem anymore. So what is? why are we still learning that solution when this isn't a problem anymore? And so I think it's going to be like that where there will be some sort of delineation that this is written by a person versus uh, an artificial intelligence, or a lot of times people won't care. So for example, whenever you type in like how to cook an egg and Google has those search results at the top that say like, you know, they give you the little snippet answers. Those are generated by a computer, but I read them just as well, right? So long as I'm getting the answer, do I really care who it's from, right? Now, let's say I'm looking for investment advice. Right now, I'd probably want my investment advice from Warren Buffett rather than a computer at the moment, right? So, so that that would matter. But for a lot of things on like, how do I replace the battery uh, on my iPhone if it's not charging up up enough? Do I care that that's a GPT given answer if it's correct? I don't. I, I personally don't care. And I think that the way that that question is is posed by people of like, well, it's not made by a human. I'm like, at some point, the 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 AI is going to be better. And so it's so it's like kind of like you'd rather have a human driver. But now like the Teslas are getting so good that you're like, maybe I'd rather just have a machine driver than a human driver. So I think it's going to go that way. 
I think it's just going to get so good that people won't care. Or if they do care, they'll follow a specific person where they can hear a human perspective on something. But I think that's going to happen. I think that's a totally valid point. And, and maybe the, it's because the article I was reading was like an analysis of a movie that I just watched. And so I feel like the arts, for me personally, this is to- totally a personal, I don't, I don't want to speak on behalf of anyone aside from my own, but like movies, film, TV, creative stuff like that is is very human emotion for, for me. So when I watch a movie, feel a human emotion from it and then read a critical analysis from it and then find out it was done by a robot, I, I felt some type of way about it. I'm just, I'm, I'm being transparent. You know what? You know what though? That's only a year old. That's only a year old. Oh yeah. GPT yeah, came out yeah. about a year ago. And so there was, there was GPT three and GPT two before that GPT two, it was a joke. It didn't really work. GPT three finally worked, but you had to use a company like copy AI, Jasper, et cetera, to actually use it. And now chat GPT came out, but just a year ago, not even. And like, this is so new that there's going to be this period of adjustment of like, Whoa, like some, like an artificial intelligence wrote this. We are not going to be saying like an artificial intelligence wrote this. It's going to be like, like your business is on the web. You know, it's just, it's it's going to be totally natural that like Walmart.com, that ever uh, you go to Bonobos or or Chubby's, uh, they, they they sell online. Every of course they sell online. No one's blown away that people sell online anymore, right? And I think no one's going to be blown away like in five years that you use AI in in some case. And and keep in mind, a lot of the stuff that we're doing. So for example, us talking to each other, this is all modulated by machine learning. So AI used to be called machine learning far before that. It's been around for a while. It's just getting to this point that people can use it easily and interact with it. That they're like, oh my god, this is kind of a breakthrough moment. But I guarantee you, in two years, it's all the old news. Won't even be talking about it. And it already is in certain parts of our life, and that's what I totally am am on board with you on. We just don't like when our autocorrect is called AI. But we've been using autocorrect for probably eight years now, and that's all. It's spell the check same, was a big thing. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. No, I mean, you're, remember you're back totally in the day, right. they were just like, with spell check, will kids learn how to spell? And and my answer to this, like, if I have featured children, is it the most important thing that they learn how to spell a word correctly if the computer is going to do it? Or for example, right now, it's like, I don't need to know directions all that well because my phone is so good at doing it. Look, if, 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 if the apocalypse happened and I have to learn how to use a map again, I'll be able to do it. But at the same time, do I need to memorize all the locations when just Uber will pick me up and do it? Do I need to? I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think technology kind of lifts a lot of that burden off of your plate. And so writing boring stuff. So for here, here's a good example where AI is super helpful for us. We post a video on YouTube and you have to make those little chapters on YouTube. So you have to go to this part and say, Alex and Neville talked about this. And you have to write a description of it. AI will just do that. It'll just take your transcript and make that, make that stuff for you. It'll find the most interesting spots. It'll make a description. And it does it about 85% to 90% good, which is pretty pretty good considering it's instant. Before, it used to take me an hour to do it or an assistant an hour to do it. Now it takes no time. That's a great example of where just like supporting content, supporting copy, where we don't really want to write it, but we just have to. AI could just totally replace that. And you and I can focus on the more human aspects and more creative aspects of stuff. So I, I think I think it's a it's going to be one of those things where if you if you stick your hand in the sand and don't pay attention to it, it's going to pass you by. And actually the best way to get over your fear of it, because like it is a bit of a scary thing, right? It makes your heart flutter literally when you think like, can this thing just do what I do, right? Like you start worrying, like what is my value out here then? And the way to get over that is to start using it extensively, right? You should have ChatGPT open. You should experiment it. You should upload your emails to it. Say, how do I make these better? What can I add? What can I subtract? How do I make this shorter? What are better ways to write this? Um, start using it. And then you start seeing its limitations. You also start seeing its strengths. And and then you start seeing how you can use it and apply it to other stuff. So it, it's a really cool tool and people should be using it a lot more. It's going to be part of our everyday lives. But yes, at first it could be scary to people when they don't use it. And then when you actually use it more, you actually don't fear it as much. That's great advice. I think that's really great yeah. advice, Neville. Before we wrap up, I asked my guests to see exact same last question. In the e-commerce space, it can be an extremely uh, stress-inducing environment and industry. I'm curious, Neville, what you do in your free time in terms of hobbies and interests to establish a healthy work-life harmony and uh, good mental hygiene. Yeah, I actually have some. I actually have a good answer about that. Here's a quick tactic that I've used for a long time. So I have a do list right that I have over here. I'm holding up to the camera, and it's my work for the day. And my goal for the day is to cross out everything. I just scratch it out. And then once I'm done, I don't allow myself to work anymore. So that's one way of staying sane. Otherwise, like as you know, like there's always a new task, right? Someone's asking yeah. you for something. 
And here's, here's the major trick for this. And I've told so many people this, and they're like, that is genius. It's so simple. Never accept anything the same day. So let's say you, Alex, are like, hey, Neville, can you send me a headshot for this podcast? I'll say, I'll send it to you by 3 p.m. tomorrow. If you notice, I, I, I wasn't mean about it. I didn't say no. I just said, I'll do it tomorrow. And that goes on tomorrow's to-do list. But I'll never add it to, to today's. Uh, you know, Okay, look, with the rare exception, something really needs someone, it's quick, I'll do it, okay? But for the most part, my general default is I never agree to do something this same day. It's always the next day. And that way, those two things I just said of like, you know, scratch out your to-do list and once you're done, you have to stop working. And then also only promise stuff the day after or some other day, not today. If you do those things, you actually stop working at some point and are allowed to go pursue hobbies instead of this endless cycle of work. And I think that's what gets people burned out. You know, they just keep doing work and work and work and they never do anything. And they're like, oh, work is killing me. I'm like, yeah, but the way you've structured it, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Whereas me, I have eight things on my to-do list. Once I'm done, I just I have to go do something else. I play guitar, I play piano, I work out, hang out with friends, have an active social life, all that kind of stuff. And it's all from those two habits of just like making a to-do list the night before and never adding stuff the same day on it. And you'd be surprised. Like some days I finish like at 3 p.m. and I'm like, I got nothing else to do today. So I'll go read and like maybe I'll optionally go do more work or more independent research. But uh, for the most part, like my work day is finished when I finish this to-do list. That's great. I'm, that, I'm, that, I'm that, gonna, is, that is my I'm gonna steal that. tactic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. steal that and because way, I have like a, a to-do list that I just add stuff to it and and I get to it when I get to it. You know, I, I think the way that you structured it makes a lot of sense. And I used to do something very similar, but, you know, now working from home and, you know, freelance in life, add stuff to the to-do list and then get to it when I get to it, you know? And you'd be surprised. So a lot of people are like, I'll do it tomorrow. But see, that's actually stress-inducing for the other side. So that what I always say is that I'll do it by X time tomorrow. You give them a specific time. And then one, like I like doing that because it holds me accountable. But two, you're like, I'm getting to it and it's going to be on this time. I'm going to give it to you. Yeah. You're giving so yourself that's an a, actual that's a huge deadline, hack. Yeah. yeah. Huge hack. And they know that they're going to get it because you already said at this specific time. So it, it's like, it's a win-win for everybody. And most of the stuff that people ask you to do right today, you probably don't need to do today. Probably not that important. No, procrastinator's motto is, you know, why do today what you can put off to tomorrow? <laughs> no, man, I should, I should adopt that. <laughs> <laughs> Neville, it's been a blast, man. Thank you so much for joining me. I learned a lot. Good luck with the copywriting course and the million other things you got going on. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Appreciate it. Yeah, if you want to give me a follow, copywritingcourse.com or Twitter at NevMed. You can follow me, join my newsletter, copywritingcourse.com slash newsletter. Best thing we put out every Friday called the Swipes email. Pretty cool. Also, for digital marketing stuff, I have a swipe site called Swipe File. It's totally free. A Swipe File is just a collection of different marketing things, and it's stuff that I handpick. So if you ever want to see my thoughts on what good homepages, pricing pages, all that stuff is, ads at swipefile.com, you can browse it. It's just ad supported so you don't have to join anything. Wonderful. Thanks a bunch, man. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank my guest, Neville Medora, for joining me on the show. And come back on Thursday when I talk with Dr. Brandon Chikotsky, the Assistant Professor of Professional Practice and Marketing at Texas Christian University. For more information about Neville, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or follow him on Twitter at NevMed or on Instagram at Neville underscore Medora. To learn more about Copywriting Course, visit their website, copywritingcourse.com, or follow them on YouTube at Copywriting, spelled with a K, or on Facebook at Copywriting Course spelled with two Ks. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. And we hope you come back to find new episodes being published every Tuesday and Thursday. Until then. 